This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 175 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Kevin McGee is Chief Security Officer for Microsoft Canada. He joins us with his story of early entrepreneurship, persistent curiosity, and a lifelong passion for learning. He shares the career path that earned him his leadership position with Microsoft, as well as insights on his leadership style and recruiting methods. We'll get his take on threat intelligence and thoughts on where he thinks the cybersecurity industry may be headed. Stay with us. grew up in a special time in the late 70s and the 80s was really the time of the hacker. And that's when, you know, hacker was really a positive word back then. And, you know, back then we hung out at the computer stores or the arcades and and we we found others that were interested in the same things we were, formed little clubs, little subcultures that, uh, that learned from each other. And that's what really the essence of hacking and hacker culture originally was. And uh, it was really based on sort of my interest of taking things apart, learning how they worked, you know, improving them and sharing them and, and whatnot. And that's the uh, the time that really imprinted on my personality. Uh, I was very interested in entrepreneurship, uh, technology and uh, a learning and teaching cycle, sharing what I'd learned in these areas and the skills I really developed in those early days as a, a hacker taking apart technology and building them. Uh, really sort of imprinted my personality uh, for the rest of my life and career. Well, so where did you get started after school? So, well, at the end of school, late high school, I really started my first business uh, with my best friend, Ted. We were probably about 16. And, you know, we would come to your house and we would set up your modem and hook you up to the Internet. And more importantly, we would teach you how how to use it when it was done. And I was always amazed that people spent like $5,000 on a new state-of-the-art computer. They had no idea how to hook it up. But they also had no idea what to do with it once uh, they had it hooked up. So that was the important bit. And I figured out really fast our value was in providing not just the installation of the the hardware or making it all work, but really opening the whole new world to them. And that was our competitive advantage with our small business. We weren't really just appliance installers. We were your professor, your guide, your companion in exploration of this whole new world. And no one really realized that, you know, we had no idea what we were doing either. We were just a little more curious, a little more, you know, courageous and and, and really were able to learn on our feet. And we also learned some practical things about business uh, that, for instance, when you got to uh, a house or business, there was never enough plugs to plug things in. So having a power <laughs> bar handy for sale was handy. Um, and also uh, printers notoriously didn't come with cables. So you could get great margin for a small business selling those uh, printer cables on the spot as well, too. And that's really got me into both the technology side and the entrepreneurial bug and uh, launched my career after uh, after school into, uh, um, you know, the front lines as a help desk technician at, at a hospital. That's really where I got my start with my real first job. And so how long did you spend there and where did you go next? I started with a small company that serviced uh, computers and I, I spent a lot of time in the basement of hospitals, you know, fixing 
XTs and, and dot matrix printers and setting up state of the art 386 uh, systems for uh, <laughs> uh, for vice presidents and then transferring their systems uh, to the managers who transferred it to the individual and you know finding really ways to automate those processes and and uh, you know just uh, make things better and that was where the hacker uh, sort of mentality uh, kicked in but I also was seeing uh, a lot of holes in our processes our technology architecture and whatnot that left uh, these organizations really vulnerable and that's where I really got the security bug was trying to you know to fix those problems and it was different back then people really didn't listen to us I always felt like Cassandra <laughs> cursed to always tell the truth but sort of have no one ever believe me um, so it's, it's amazing how far industry has come but uh, that first First job, you know, really fixed me in the um, in the technology industry. I had gone to university and studied history, uh, but uh, pivoted to a technology industry and found that sort of those that diversity of skills, that sort of hacker um, growth. As a as a kid, uh, combined with an education in the arts and an ability to research, communicate, and absorb uh, you know huge amounts of information, uh, with my love of technology, um, really set me up for a, a career in a number of different ways. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is how how much of a leg up it can give you to have those communication skills, to be able to be social and interact with people of all ages from all walks of life. And it sounds like that's a lesson that you learned pretty early on. I find a lot of times we try and uh, play the part of a, of a security professional. We We want to look very professional in our tie and sound like they do on TV and in the movies. But uh, really, you know, it's about making the, you know, the connection with, um, you know, with the person you're, you're teaching or, you know, really understanding what motivates an attacker. There's a lot of skills that go well beyond technology that are, are we're just either ignoring or we're almost mentoring out of the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. And, you know, I want to see when I'm hiring, uh, I have a very diverse um, set of uh, uh, candidates from the arts, from from any discipline. It's it's a common set of skills, a passion, uh, a bit of curiosity, maybe a dash of mischief. And that's what I'm looking for in the best candidates, not uh, not necessarily a computer science degree or experience with a certain firewall. So what was the pathway that then led you to where you are now at Microsoft? So um, I've had a, a chance in my career uh, to sort of apply my hacker mentality and and do a lot of interesting things. And I've never let those barriers of I didn't have qualifications or whatnot stand in my way. Um, I had a startup in the 90s, which um, failed miserably. My next startup was sold <laughs> successfully. Um, so I've been able to uh, to do the um, the entrepreneur side of uh, the business and really learn a lot. And then uh, went to the um, the corporate world where I've worked for you know major companies like Hewlett Packard and and um, Palo Alto Networks in the early days and had a chance to see large companies, small companies. And I think it's uh, really been that diversity of, of people, of interesting uh, new technologies, of uh, being part of something new and exciting and building and creating something that's really been the driver of, of, my, um, of my career. And I really had the chance to work with some exciting and interesting people and get to know them at the earliest stages of my career that have been the backbone of helping me uh, sort of evolve those skills, culminating in a sort of a love of, of security, a love of teaching, a love of learning, and a real interest in the, the, the people side of, of the industry, which I think is an area where we need to invest more time in developing uh, and really encourage uh, people to look at not just the technology side of the industry, but also, you know, those soft skills, those other areas of the industry where they can add value with a diverse background, not necessarily a computer science degree. 
So what is your day-to-day like these days? What, what sort of things are under your responsibility at Microsoft Canada? So really, um, you know, the day-to-day is, is, all about, uh, is all about people for me. It's all about, you know, finding, mentoring, uh, developing, you know, building relationships uh, with people. It's not so much about sec- uh, technology anymore. It's applying a growth mindset uh, to problem solving. It's, it's asking why. I actually spend a lot of time with non-technical folks, general counsels, uh, CFOs, board members, and I'm listening, learning, educating, you know, creating allies for the CISO and the security team. That's really where I spend a lot of my my day is on the development of of our industry and our, our people and an understanding. Um, and once we have that, a lot of the technology problems just fall away really easily. Um, so enabling those those uh, allyships, and enabling those connections, is really where I try and prioritize my time. What sort of unique things do you contend with? You know, being the chief security officer at a company that is also in the business of security. Yes. We um we get a lot of questions about, you know, obviously our own technology and how to apply it um and what the best practices are, um, that sort of thing. But I also get uh, an opportunity to talk to a wide range of people. Microsoft is in a lot of different businesses, and we talk to a lot of different aspects of um, of the company, so organizations. So we, everyone is using one of our products pretty much within the organization, from the CEO to frontline workers and whatnot. That gives me, I, I guess, a wider uh insight into what the challenges they see from a business perspective, not just a technology perspective. When I worked at sort of uh, more focused technology companies in my past, we really just looked at the SOC or we really just looked at the security team. And we didn't really have that broader sense of what enterprise risk looked like in the company. That's been super eye-opening. I also get the chance to, you know, to meet some really interesting folks and have discussions I would not normally be able to have, like general consoles and whatnot as part of the compliance aspect of my portfolio. And those are areas where I'm not necessarily as strong and really get a chance to learn from the customer or from even a candidate that's applying for a role more about um, more about the industry, more about what those challenges are out there in the field uh, that I can really cycle back to the company to make us better, to make, you know, our products better to make our people better and uh, to better serve our customers. You know, when, when I think about Microsoft being uh, here in the U.S., um, I think I automatically think about Microsoft here in the U.S. And, and Microsoft's headquarters here in the U.S. Can you give us some insights as to what is it like being part of Microsoft in another nation? Uh, how, do, how do the interactions work, you know, back with the, the mothership, if you will, on a global scale? Well, my first job was actually reporting to the, the mothership, as you say, and it was uh, fantastic. I worked in emerging technologies, so I got to to manage technical teams that were breaking new ground in containers and blockchain and and really cool things that, you know, the whole industry hadn't figured out. So uh, having those, those corporate tie-ins and those corporate relationships, you know, at the center really has enabled me to succeed, you know, working in Canada uh, because we're a small, tight ship in Canada. We all know each other. Um, there's a sense of camaraderie in esprit de corps um, that is uh, is really exciting and just an energy, you know, that we're all in this together. We have a shared mission and uh, we really just want to do a good job and do our best. So um, I've had, the again, the opportunity to do both. And I think it's um, the best of both worlds because no matter what challenge we have in Canada, there's, there's this whole global uh, 
um, network of, of interesting, exciting peoples that I can bring to bear to help solve a problem or develop one of my people or you know, put a second set of eyes on a, on a challenge or whatnot. Um, so it's really the best of both worlds, in my opinion. Hmm. I want to get your take on uh, threat intelligence and, and the, the part that you think that plays in an organization's defenses. The biggest challenge I see is we still continue to throw money, technology, and people at problems, and and that's really not acting, you know, with context and and uh, in in an informed way. And if we're going to really alter the balance between the attacker and the defender in our favor, you know, we need to act with purpose and with context. And that's where the where threat really uh, intel really plays in. And I think the purpose of it is to really enable organization to to proactively reduce risk and address threats. That's what threat intel does. It's not just for spies anymore. It's not just for the security team. It's really something that needs to be available to the entire organization. Operational uh, threat intelligence is what we normally think of in cybersecurity, and that's threat feeds and and open source uh, intelligence and whatnot, but really a shift to strategic intelligence and making that available to the boardroom so they have the context to make better informed decisions is something that I spend a lot of time uh, working with uh, boards and leaders to to integrate threat intel into how they work and how they make decisions. How much of of a skill is it to manage that, to be able to, to dial it in so that it's not overwhelming? It's difficult. And I think one of the challenges are that uh, we still see at the highest level of organizations, security and technology is a different thing, not part of the overall enterprise's risk strategy. Um, when I talk to, to boards, um, I'll say, hey, if uh, your CSO or your CIO came and said that security thing, don't worry, we got this. You know, how would you, you feel? Well, you, you maybe would accept that. But if your CFO did that and said, hey, that money thing, don't worry, we got this, you would never accept that. So Applying uh, um, the same criteria and risk to your uh, analysis to your financial assets, physical assets to your data is still a challenge that uh, that I see out there at the highest levels. And I guess one of the, the reasons is, and, and I never really understood this till I sat on the board, I sat in an audit committee meeting and uh, with surrounded by accountants and they were talking about the current ratio. And I finally had to raise my hand and said, you know, is or ask the question is, should it be higher or lower? It's been 25 years since I took financial accounting. I'm really not sure. And that's the where the epiphany happened where I thought, you know, most people in uh, leadership positions or boards or whatnot are used to being the smartest person in the room. And they're, they're afraid to ask those questions that may make them look, you know, silly or uninformed um, in front of their peers. So a lot of the times I spend uh, one-on-one with executives or board members to get them over those hurdles because they do have that fear of asking that question and making themselves look uninformed or dumb in front of their their peers. And it's holding them back from doing their, their job as governors. Um, and it's easily solved by providing them with content context with education and answering their questions in a, a safe environment, either their home or their office. How do you nurture that environment with your own team to, to make it so that uh, you know people are comfortable asking the dumb question? The number one question I get asked from CISOs or CIOs or board members is, what's the one thing I can do to um, to make my organization more secure or, or better protected? And I always surprise them with my answer. My answer is always create a culture and a tone from the top where if, if I as an employee click on something or make a mistake or do something wrong – and I put my hand up, I'll get help, not retribution or shame. And if you can enable that environment where everyone's part of solving uh, the problem, um, I think that is the first big step you can make. And tone from the top really matters. Uh, if you look at, you know, going back to first principles of security, 
the CIA triangle, a lot of uh, boards or C-level executives will focus the business on user growth and they'll not really think through, you know, what vulnerabilities that leaves them open to if you're creating a bonus structure, whatnot, that um, is based on user growth, because now you're going to eliminate friction, which things like multi-factor authentication and all those things that make our system secure because your, your economic incentives are all aligned to a growth strategy. So sometimes informing, changing their minds, uh, you know, enabling people to raise their hand and ask that question is really what matters. With my team, I do the same. You know, we we get together, we we debrief on uh, on a lot of our challenges or whatnot, and everyone has the, you know the full opportunity to not only say what they think, but uh, to ask that tough question. And um, once you you build that trust where they feel comfortable speaking out, speaking up, or asking that question, that's really where the magic happens. What sort of things go through your mind when you're looking to attract new team members? What, what are the things that you're looking for from, from new members of the team? I really want people's personalities to shine through and for them to tell their stories. I think we've, we've done a disservice um, to an entire generation by cranking out articles on the internet that, that make generic responses to interview questions. Um, I think traditionally security professionals that are successful have always been a little quirky, always been a little different. And, um, you know, I think we've almost trained people to show up to interviews and to hide that or to, to minimize that. Um, I want to explore how you learn. I want to explore, you know, what you're reading. I want to explore how you approach problems. Um, and I really want your personality to shine through uh, in in an interview if you're right out of school. Uh, and I spent a lot of time working with um, with students and startups and whatnot on, on these challenges and, and how to break through to start your career. Because every, every uh, one tells me there's a, a skills shortage or there's not enough people available, there really are. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to identify them or we're boxing ourselves into a certain set of biases of what we're looking for in the perfect cybersecurity professional. And we're not reaching beyond that. And I find sometimes when I take a chance on someone who's a little different, who doesn't meet the mold, they turn out to be, you know, one of the best performers and, you know, the best problem solvers and really bring energy and excitement to the team. How important are things like degrees and certifications to you? Um, they're not as important as someone uh, who has a, uh, a history degree. Um, I always like to joke that I, you know, studied history, um, went into business and then became a security professional. So I'm the uh, Canadian version of Jack Ryan. Um, I've had a very different career path. So I recognize that those, uh, those are not necessarily uh, the end all and be all. And I think the industry is getting much better at that, um, to looking at different degrees and whatnot. It breaks my heart when I see people reach out on Twitter and say, Hey, I just got shot down for a job because I haven't arts degree. But it lifts my spirit to see all the responses of our industry responding uh, and saying, hey, you know, don't give up. I can make some introductions or whatnot. But, you know, thoughts and prayers to those situations are not enough. I think we as an industry really have to start to think about what comes next. How do we build a self-sustainable way of finding, identifying and growing talent other than sort of the way we're doing it now, which is leaving folks up to their own to get the certs or whatever they whatever they feel an employer would want. Um, and I think that's incumbent on us as an industry to really take it to the next level. There is no iron ring or set of standards in our industry. We're still very young and evolving, uh, but it's it's time really to switch to uh, industry building um, and instead of just relying on individuals to figure this out on their own. 
What sort of advice do you have for folks who are interested in pursuing a career in cybersecurity? You know, maybe that person uh, close to coming out of school or maybe somebody who's thinking about switching careers. I, I have this discussion quite often with uh, with both of those uh, individuals that the, I'm changing careers or are new. And a lot of focus is um, for folks that are looking to the new careers on becoming an industry expert. And I think we, we do a good job of that, providing certifications or training and whatnot. I want to see them become an industry insider. The questions I ask them you know, are, who are you reading? You know, and I want to hear things like Brian Krebs. I want to hear things like, what, what books you're reading? Did, you know, tell me about the last book you read is one of my favorite questions. What did you learn today that others could benefit from? You know, Those are the type of questions that I'm asking. And I'm really looking for, do you really have a passion for this industry? Are you really part of the industry? Are you joining in the conversations? Are you joining in and networking uh, with your with your potential peers? And are you showing me your skills, not just telling me? You know, don't tell me you're a great communicator. Write some blog posts and then send them to me so I can evaluate that for myself. That's what I think we, we really need to encourage uh, folks that are looking to join the industry to do. Where do you think we're headed when, when you look towards the horizon in terms of I'm thinking of the, the continued professionalization of cybersecurity as it becomes more and more essential, uh, less exotic, you know, just a part of every business. What, what do you think the future holds for us? Well, I hope we don't ever lose the art and make it into a complete science uh, would be my number one uh, comment on that. Um, I, it's it's not like other industries. And we try and graft our, our thought process and, and how we define our industry on other industries. We call you know people in technology architects or engineers. Maybe we need our own vocabulary uh, to describe what we do. Um, I, and I think we need to sort of um, really step back and, and, and see where we want to take our industry. And those of us that have been in it a while and have been around have had the benefit of lots of great mentors and lots of folks that have helped us up the ladder. And it's incumbent on us to really do that for the next generation and help them up the ladder. And a lot of times uh, they feel they, you know, they can't reach out to uh, someone with a big title like mine or whatnot. One of the greatest joys of my day is spending some time with a student or someone who is passionate about our industry and, and helping guide them or in introducing some uh, a new book that they should read or whatnot to them uh, to enable them on their career. And I think there's a lot of folks like me out there that uh, would love to have those discussions, have those, uh, have those interactions and pay it forward because someone helped them get to where they are as well. Our thanks to Microsoft's Kevin McGee for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 